Hey everyone, thanks for listening to the Friday Film Club. And before the episode starts, I just want to tell you about the podcast boutique. Uh, This is how the Friday Film Club happens. They're a boutique production house. They'll help you launch, distribute and grow your show. So whether you're new to podcasting or you've got a show and you just want to take it to the next level, check us out at www.thepodcastboutique.com. If you like what you hear at the Friday Film Club, just know it's the podcast boutique that makes that happen. So get in touch, have a chat with me or one of the team, but not until you've listened to the Friday Film Club. So enjoy this episode and speak soon. So welcome to the first episode of the second season of the Friday Film Club. It is great to be back and joining me for this milestone episode, I guess, uh, is the amazing Luke Davies. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. How's you? I am good. Yeah, busy. You know, it feels like Christmas. We're recording this first week of January and it feels like Christmas is long gone now. It is. Yes, I know. I know exactly what you mean. It's um, interesting times, especially, and uh, the fact that we can do everything over on computers. You ne- you never, you never thought thought about this uh, maybe two or three years ago. No, that's it. It's, it's a very, a very different world now. But obviously, you've had a bit of a career change yourself. So, why don't you, for any listeners who don't know who you are, tell us, uh, tell us who you are and what you do. So, uh, hello, I'm Luke. Uh, Like Liam, I am a uh, fellow HBA member with uh, the station Radio Glamorgan, a very good station uh, down in South Wales. I have, uh, you are right, I've had a career change. I used to work in a secondary school, but as of November time, I'm currently working for Bower Media as a scheduling assistant in the southwest of England. All done from home, of course. Um, I'm not, haven't travelled to Bristol just yet. And that's basically uh, how, uh, what, what I'm doing nowadays. And uh, I'm a big film lover myself. Good. Well, that's going to lend itself very well to this podcast. But I, I have to ask, before we jump into the questions, uh, I'm assuming you haven't crossed paths with, with any famous people yet um, as you're working from home. But I don't think people ever really think about all the jobs, right, that, that go into keeping a radio station running and making the programmes. So what exactly is it that you do? So basically, as a scheduler, you've got to put adverts in the breaks. It's important to make sure that uh, your clients get 100% return for each advert that they put put in for you. It, it, it's, a, it's a fun job and uh, it's great to learn something new. Yeah, and do you know what, as, as someone with a bit of experience in radio and podcast myself, I, I, I don't think the people that make the adverts get enough credit. Everyone hates the adverts on radio, but there's, there's a lot of skill that goes into those things. Oh, absolutely. And uh, I, I've got to say, it's, it's, I, I love trying new things in radio. Um, I, think ne- I think next thing it'll have to be, I mean, I, I'd like to see how music scheduling works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But here's a question for you. Obviously, you've, you've done a lot in hospital radio. 
and you know radio is the career you're now in um if but if you could work at any station which would it be oh now that's the million dollar question <laughs> so I might sound biased for saying this, but it'd probably have to be magic. I knew you weren't going to say BBC. I knew you, you can't at the moment, right? No, well, no. And <laughs> I'd, I'd say magic or Scala, but, but, but I think if I was working for Global, it would have to be smooth. Interesting choice. Interesting. Scala, do you know what? I love that station. Um, is it is it Scala that they have? Um, is it that uh, Mark Kermode is on that does the the film soundtrack show? It's Mark Kermode doing film yeah. soundtrack. Charles Nova Breakfast. Love Charles to bits. Mm. What a what a great broadcast. And Simon Mayo, of course, went there before he um, ventured off to Greatest Hits Radio. Of course, yeah. Joe, I love I love Scala. I think it was Scala that tried to rebrand classical music um, and, and classical radio stations for younger audiences and um they've done a really good job oh absolutely and i i, I did a I, I did a podcast a couple of years ago with charles nove as a guest on there and i asked him about scala and he said the one thing he loved about scala was working with simon mayo saying the fact that when they were at radio 2 they never really got to know each other that well it was basically on the outside broadcast they would now and then you know oh hi charles hi simon but then they said, but now that they're working, you know, with Charles doing breakfast and Simon back then doing mid-mornings, they were constantly rubbing shoulders with one another and <laughs> just having a laugh. Yeah, no, that's good. And uh, yeah, OK, I've, I've, I've managed to coerce a couple of uh, names out of you um, at the start. So uh, I think we can move into the questions now and we'll try and we'll talk more about radio as we go through. But I don't want to I don't want to nerd out too much because I feel like. We're going to be the only two people listening to this that care um, in as much detail. <laughs> but yeah. Um, so are you ready? Uh, you've got the six questions. Shall we do this? I am ready. Let's play Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Don't <laughs> right. Let's go straight in. What is your favourite film of all time, Luke? Oh, oh, God. Do you know, that's a really, really hard one. Usually I would say, because I'm, how, how can I say? Series-wise, it's going to be the James Bond series. But film-wise... Oh, film-wise. God. You know, I thought about about this for a long, long time. And I think, for me, my favourite film... Yeah, this is... This is going to sound like a very um, interesting interesting one I'm going to choose. But... I think for me, my favourite what film is going to be A Fish Called Wanda. Interesting. Uh, why? Why that? I've always loved Monty Python, and I've been a big fan of Michael Palin in particular. Mm. And it, it, it's one of those films that you, you can tell that John Cleese, he was serious about wanting to make a um, a, ho- a Hollywood a some a Hollywood film that um, could take that he could be taken seriously for, but also keep that comedy element. We should say, um, yeah. I think it's it's brilliant writing. It's um, got good direction by a director called Charles Crichton, who I'm sure Liam, you're 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 a big film because you're a big film buff. Uh, he directed a lot of uh, '60s films, and um, 
Kevin Klein's in it, and uh, anything with with Kevin Klein in, you know, he can be both funny and be serious at the same time. Yeah. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh, now that's a, that's a girl who put it, put Halloween aside. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> The only thing that I know raises controversy about A Fish Called Wanderer is it, it did open the doors for Fierce Creatures, which many people nowadays think Fierce Creatures is absolutely shocking. But I, I, I myself have a very soft spot for Fierce Creatures. Interesting. There's, yeah, there's, I, I feel like I'm starting to get a sense of where the rest of your answers are going to head now. But I am interested. Um, I, I have to know. Completely agree. Um, I'm a, a, I am a, a fan of, of John Cleese and Monty Python, but this was also around the time that he did Rat Race, which has to has to be said is quite terrible. Well, actually, Rat Race came about in 2001. A fish called Wonder, I think, was 88. But hey, now I've not I've not properly seen Rat, Rat Race though. Mm. Couldn't comment. But Rat Race has got Rowan Atkinson in. It it has it has and. I've often wondered with Rat Race, is it more a film about John Cleese or is it a film about Rowan Atkinson? It's definitely, I think John Cleese plays a much more minor role in Rat Race than the others, absolutely. But also, I'm, I've got my timelines completely wrong. I thought A Fish Called Wanda was like 90s. Well, it's, it's interesting. It's late 80s, so, so I, I can see a point with it being mm. 90s. But... I think John Cleese, how can I say it? He's polarizing when he comes to films. He can mm. do some very good films. I mean, recently he's been in Clifford the Big Red Dog, which <laughs> I've not seen, but I've seen the commercials. And I love it how he just comes across as a sort of magician type uh, character. I mean, there's a definite kind of typecasting in Hollywood films for like old British characters. And even even though it's an animated film, John Cleese sounds like an old British white guy. Like there's no way of 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 disguising that. And so I think whether he's in animated films or in live action, he's only playing kind of one kind of person. You know? Yeah. Oh, if if you watch some of the Monty Python sketches and hear him do an <laughs> accent, you can probably think, yeah, that's not for you, mate. <laughs> But it kind of it works with Monty Python though, right? Because it's so silly, and it's like there's this kind of it's almost like you're part. They invite you into their little comedy circle, and you just kind of laugh along with a bunch of guys just messing about, right? Oh, indeed. And I mean, you look at how you look at how it goes. Terry Gilliam did animation. Graham Chapman wrote a lot of the episodes, and Eric Idle did all the songs and. Uh... I mean, but the the interesting thing with Monty Python is they never repeated the sketches, but and then of course, I mean Monty Python. They then they then produced four great films and uh, then uh, all went off and did their own things. Some they some did good films, others did terrible films. <laughs> I, yeah, and I, I mean I wouldn't say with someone like Get Terry Gilliam because he Terry Gilliam has made plenty good films, but. Um, I'm still yet to watch Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Yeah, do you know what? It's one of those I've tried to watch so many times because I feel like I should appreciate it, but I just can't. There's something about it. I, I, it's just not for me. But um, a lot of people rave about Fear and Loathing. But 
Terry Gilliam just has a a style that that is that is gonna be divisive. Like uh, Brazil is another film, maybe not terribly well known, but incredibly stylistic. There's there's a very clear tone um, that you can also kind of see in Fear and Loathing that's similar. And I think when you just slightly open that 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 mind of Terry Gilliam and and let it spill out onto the screen, you're going to get a very specific type of film, <laughs> and it's not for everyone. Exactly, yeah. And actually, do you know, well, whilst we're on the subject of Python, it actually brings me on to because you said what was my favourite film? What is mm. my favourite film? Yes, and it's actually from a Python direct. Well, Python alumni, right? Um, who, who was another Terry, who I will say I have got the utmost respect for, especially that he's no longer with us. So, but I, I watched this during lockdown, and it's Eric the Viking. I've not seen this. Right. So Eric the Viking uh, was Terry Jones' his own novel that he'd written. Which actually, I'm surprised that when I read about it, that um, it's the reason Jim Henson asked him to pen the screenplay for Labyrinth. Um, it, apparently, his daughter said she'd fallen in love with it and said, "You've got to get this guy to write it." Uh, <laughs> yeah, but don't don't get me wrong. Labyrinth is a very good film, but th- this is a film that okay, it, it's very hard to find the master copy of the film because what what Jones did in it was he didn't like the original 89 release of it. And what he then decided to do was he decided then to re-edit the film. So the film that I saw had a lot of scenes cut out and a few scenes then put in different places of the film. So I'm pretty sure those who had seen the original in 89 and probably came up thinking, God, this film is awful. Then when when the DVD came out for Anon, this isn't the film I remember. So it, it, the problem is it's got a very good casting. I mean, Tim Robbins is playing Eric. Um, Ron Cleese as well has a cameo in it. Also, Mickey Rooney's in it, which uh, I've always found. Yeah. Okay, that's, that... that's a bizarre combination uh, right off the bat there. So for anyone that hasn't seen Eric the Viking, and I imagine a lot of people haven't, I imagine this is also the first and only time Eric the Viking is ever going to come up in these answers. Um, so it's definitely a, a left-field choice. What is Eric the Viking about? Oh, it's been a while since I last saw since I last saw it. So you'll have to excuse me for my... Um, but basically, it's about a Viking. He's uh, being, he goes on a quest and he takes along a load of other Vikings with him all having very inappropriate names to reveal on this podcast. Uh, and they venture off to the uh, city of High Brazil, which is um, where the kin, bizarrely enough, is played by Terry Jones. But of course, you've got to insert yourself into, into <laughs> the film. Jones being always, um, as you probably remember in Monty Python, always was the eccentric uh, character. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't shy away from that. He's eccentric in it. And what's interesting with High Brazil is they say, if anyone cries, High Brazil sinks. The daughter, who's played by Imogen Stubbs, actually cries um, because she'd fallen in love with Eric. So she cries, and then High Brazil just starts sinking. And then <laughs> rescuing the kid, he just sits there, just 
walking gobbledygook until he's nowhere to be seen because he's just drowned. So, just just to clarify, this is this is least favourite film, yeah. Well, I'd say joint joint least favourite, but uh, I think the other one would probably win it because I actually will watch it now and then if there's nothing on television. But I can't. What's that? What was it that? Oh, cats and dogs. Oh, the animated thing from like twenty years ago or something. Yeah, it's just weird. Yes, yeah, that is a that is a forgettable film. I get what they're trying to do, but yeah, I'm with you on that. It just it was a bad film. It was, and the, 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 well, actually, it does give us one of the best lines in a film from from the dog who's played by Alec Baldwin, where he just says, son of my mum. <laughs> yeah, I forgot that, but that's, that's a great line. <laughs> and you can probably tell the adults can get that joke and the kids will probably think what's he on about. Yeah. Do you know what? Alec Baldwin, I think, has such a great voice for um, animation because he also does Boss Baby, doesn't he? And uh, it just it just works. You put you put a cartoon face to Alec Baldwin's voice, it's gonna work. But sadly, Cats and Dogs, on the whole, was just a bit of a miss. It is, and it's funny. The first time I ever got to f- know about Alec Baldwin was when I was about six years old, watching Thomas and the Magic Magic <laughs> Which you think, you look back at it now, you think, yeah, it's probably better they had him and not George Carlin. <laughs> Quite right. So. Who, which film or TV character do you most relate to and why? Now, this is going to sound odd of me saying this, but I've never shirked away from, uh, from talking about my disability on air. But I think for me, it's going to have to be Forrest Gump. Putting aside for it, but, I mean, it's a fantastic film. And especially, though, they did get the dates wrong, I'm going to say, with um, the All-American football team, which apparently he would never have met JFK in the White House um, because they picked it in December and JFK being assassinated in November. Yeah, yeah. But the, the, the thing I love about Forrest Gump is it tells a story that it shows that if you are different to society, you can still be successful and you can still go on to do greater things. And it's you know, it, he says like he was there when, okay, he was he met JFK. He was there in Vietnam, got the Medal of Honor. He was a um, an all star ping pong player and met John Lennon. That that is kind of for me in this early stage of my life is kind of like me. I mean, I I would uh, I could say that I helped a Lib Dem leader in Wales get elected, who I was on her campaign team. I'm currently working at Bauer. I've been to the Eurovision Song Contest. I've come sort of this close to the Queen. I'm about, you know, 12 years old. You know, I've been, it's kind of like we, we it, there's, a, there's a song by a mate of mine called Bob Lawrence where he writes, he basically says, we were there when uh, Ford had the escort. We were there when Bowie met Bolan. We were there singing Metal Guru. And it's, you, you think of it like a Forrest Gump. He was there uh, when Watergate happened. He was there with Vietnam. He was there when Elvis sang, sang Hound Dog. And then it kind of, I think, yes, I'm like, I, I associate myself with this guy, this character. Yeah. Though put this way, I'm not a big fan of Dr. Peppers. 
<laughs> That's a shame. I love Dr. Pepper. But I think I, I'm a big fan of Forrest Gump. It's a great movie. And I, I think it has such a pure message that kindness will always be rewarded with opportunity. Even though life is bittersweet and unpredictable and chaotic, uh, ultimately, goodness gets goodness back, you know? It, it does. And, uh, you know, I... I the ending where he finally marries Jenny and it, it, it's kind of it also that he never gave up on her mm. he's loved her but it's kind of it, it's quite polarizing at the end because you actually wonder did Jenny really love Forrest or mm. did she only marry him out of sympathy and that that always divides fans opinions yeah and uh, I love that they never really uh, addressed that because it wasn't it wasn't important to what was important was uh, was Forrest, and there was I think there was always this sense that maybe he was he was too too kind to to the world that didn't really appreciate or in, in many cases understand him. But I, I I I didn't mind that they didn't tie up those unanswered questions because it wasn't really about that. No, it was it was all about it was all about Forrest and. Mm. And also a brilliant soundtrack um, as well. Yes. Added to it. Yes, I love the theme from Forrest Gump. Um, absolutely love it. But while we're, we're on the subject, uh, obviously you've said that you've, you've never shied away yourself from, from talking about your, your disability on air. But, you know, tell us, tell us more about that. So having Asperger's has... It's, it has been affected from... For quite a while, I always used to hide it from people in public life because I just felt they they would not have accepted me properly. I I always thought it would have it could have either made them either a not understand or b just be sort of so what. I I just I think in time it's it's kind of made me realize that actually having it you're no different to anyone else and i mean i've had i've had setbacks and i've had rejection letters time after time and having said and i think it's more important than in the industry with because i mean there was, there was an interesting article that came out the other the other week where they talked about that there aren't many people with disabilities represented in radio jobs nowadays. And part of me wonders, is it because people, they probably have the disability, but they just, they just don't want to admit it? Do you think that there is still uh, almost a shame um, in, in disability and people still struggle to come forward and really own it? Uh, I, I think there is. And I, I think it, it's, it's kind of the, and I, I don't, I, I, because every, everyone is different, and I think it's, they, they, they fear that if they were to say they got a disability, they would be discriminated in their in the workforce. But I, I, I would say to them that's not the case. I've been honest and open about it now. And people have accepted me for who I am and they've understood me where I come from. I think as long as you're honest and can trust people, then you're in for a much 
much more comfier ride and feel much more relaxed. People are much more accepting nowadays. We're not we're not living back in how can we say in a communist society where you keep uh, had to keep it a secret. Yeah, and I, I guess that was going to be my follow up. You know, do you do you think that as a society that we are now fully accepting and supportive of all disabilities and backgrounds or you know do we still have a way to go to to help people feel comfortable in being who they are i think i think we are i think we are on the on the verge of it i think with society now pushing through and especially with the equality act in place um we are becoming much more of a society who actually a kinder and gentler society i'll I'll put it put it to that (laughs) yeah i think that's a a wonderful way of putting it so uh, let's let's move on to the next question while we're going deep if your uh if your life was a movie what genre would it be and who would play you oh oh god bloody hell (laughs) i'd say that my film i'd like to say would be a cross between science fiction and comedy (laughs) That's quite a mashup. It is, and I, I think the guy to play me. Oh God, I who would I say? Oh, who would play me? I'd like to say Jim Carrey, but <laughs> great choice, great choice. Hey, there's a there's a there's a radio presenter with us in South Wales who looks like who looks like Joe Pasquale, and he says <laughs> if they were thinking about him, he'd ask Joe Pasquale to play him. <laughs> the thing is, it's 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 not the look. That, that gets Joe Pasquale playing you, it's the voice, right? Well, can you imagine Joe Pasquale actually having... Because th- th- my, mate, my mate's got a very, how can I say, Shropshire, uh, <laughs> Shropshire accent. Could you imagine, right. Could you imagine Joe Pasquale trying to put a Shropshire accent on? <laughs> it would be a very interesting casting choice. <laughs> Completely. <laughs> but no, Jim Carrey... Wonderful choice. I can see that. I can absolutely see that. He he might have to play a slightly older version of you, but uh, I I can see it happening. Well, do you know, I I'm still I I I would I if Carrie wasn't available, I'd say Will Ferrell. Just after watching Fiction, um, <laughs> what was that film he did with uh, Stranger Than Fiction? Stranger Than Fiction. That yes. was it. It's a good film. It is. And how he how he believes he's a character. Yeah, that's, it was a really good idea. I, I enjoyed that. Um, yeah, Will Ferrell's surprisingly good in it, considering it's a more dramatic role. Actually, I'm, I'm, I was going to mention something about Will Ferrell because I've had debates with friends of mine about this. You've seen the new Aladdin film, haven't you? Yes. Will Smith as the genie. Yeah. Had he not been available, do you think Will Ferrell would have been would have fitted the role perfectly? <sighs> that's a tough question because it would be a very, very different type of genie. Like Will Smith brings the, the, the type of persona and character that Will Smith brought to the genie is, is not in any way something that Will Ferrell could have done. And I just can't imagine. I guess Will Ferrell would have, been, would have tried to do more along the lines of what Robin Williams brought to the table, but maybe a bit drier. And I don't know if that would have worked. I think... I think the reason they went with Will Smith is because he was so different from Robin Williams. So I guess having just thought that through out loud, my answer would be no. I don't think Will Ferrell would have been a good choice. 
Well, did you know, I, I watched, I, I don't know if you saw this, but it was Will Smith at the premiere of Aladdin and there were two, I think they were six, six-year-old girls mm. at the premiere and he, in the, fr- in the front, and they asked him, why, why aren't you uh, using any of your magic? I think I've seen that. Yeah, and he had to explain to them that he could. And then I love what he said to them. Oh, Princess Jasmine's over there. Do you, do you want me to introduce you to her? <laughs> yeah, and you've got to say, what a lovely guy. He is. He's a nice guy, isn't he? Uh, yeah, I, I do like Will Smith. Nice guy. So, uh, your most nostalgic film. Oh, nostalgic film. Oh. Is that sort of the film that I remember first? Yeah, it's something that, that takes you back to your childhood, something that uh, could be the first film that you remember seeing, something that just brings back those memories of being a kid. Oh, now, I, as a child, have fond memories of Disney films. I think, for me, growing up, it would have had to have been... <sighs> what was the first Disney film I owned? God. Was it a VHS or was it a DVD? It's VHS. Oh, okay. So you're looking at you're looking at nineties. I'm looking at nineties. I think earliest memory would have to be been at around ninety seven. I'm gonna put that out there. Um, that's you're looking at like Pocahontas, Tarzan kind of time. Yes. Um. So ninety six, ninety seven. I think one of the first films I can remember on VHS was probably. I'm gonna say either The Lion King. Mm. Or, or maybe Snow White. Snow White. Yes. That is that. That's you would you were going nineties, 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 and then way back to Snow White. It was on VHS, and um, but then I think for me the earliest film I saw in cinemas was George of the Jungle. <laughs> right. But you, you you look back on it now, and you actually know. It's a film really made for adults, and adults get the humour. Yeah, but it, the kids can, kids can appreciate it, and it's. I mean, Brendan Fraser is brilliant as George, and Leslie yeah. as well as Ursula, and then of course John Cleese is in it, playing an ape an ape named Ape. <laughs> yes, and do you know what? Disney films come up so often on this show, and not even just in. Um, than you know, most nostalgic films. People have listed them as their favourite films, as sometimes as their least favourite, as their guilty pleasures. And I feel like that's a testament to just the fact that, as you said, Disney just have have this knack of creating films that feel so magical to kids, but also have this depth for the adults to enjoy as well. Because, and I think that's why they're so popular because the parents enjoy it just as much. And it's also because the parents have grown up with a Disney film. Yeah. Grandparents as well. I mean, my, my grandfather can remember when Snow White came out um, in, the for- in the 40s. But then, of course, you look... You look I mean, but the thing with Disney films is they are... They're timeless. They're, you can watch a Disney film and never get bored of it. Mm. Uh, but then you can watch some, some Disney films and get bored, with, bored of it, like The Free Amigos and... Uh, yeah. There were... you know, they have low patches. They go through little phases where they just seem to miss the target completely. And then they get back on track and they nail it for a few years. Well, do you know, one of the earliest films as well in my, that's come back to me is um, The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Now, I watched that the other day. 
Now, this is that this is the one thing no one ever gets with Ichabod until they watch it back as an, ad- an adult. You question: Is he actually a hero or a villain? It's very true. Yeah, it was a weird one for me because watching it back, I mean, it was obviously a film that was quite of its time, but it was, I think, one of the first times that Disney tried to do they 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 tried to to go a bit deeper and and in the sort of morality tale kind of zone something that they've sort of perfected years later with a lot of pixar films um but i think ichabod and mr toad sort of went a few layers deeper than they had previously gone with films like snow white and pinocchio you know it it was and i think i i read somewhere that one of the one of the main problems he had Walt Disney was he wanted to do a full-length feature of the Sleepy Hollows, but he realised the source material was very he the, the best I think he could get would have been about fifty minutes, so mm. it wouldn't it wouldn't have been worth um, putting it in cinemas. And two of the animators had recommended to him, "Well, do Wind in the Willows as a fe- as a full-length feature," but he uh, he read the book and he said, "Oh, this is too corny for a kids for a Disney." <laughs> It's not corny. I mean, there have been many interpretations of the wind in the willows that have made the. Okay, maybe not in America. Mm. There have been. I think the only, the only version I can think of that's actually made it to cinemas, which is er, which is also an early one I remember, is um, the one Terry Jones did in '96, mm. where, which, I've got a very so- I've got I have got a massive soft spot for. With a mate of mine said, it's it's one of those films that you just put the kids in front of when they won't shut up. <laughs> but it, I, I think it, Wind in the Willows in particular is one of those films that the Brits would get and the Americans wouldn't. Mm. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely a few examples of that, and there's there's it's the more sarcastic kind of drier sense of humour I think is lost on American audiences. Uh, right, so. Final question for you: What is your guilty pleasure? Ah, I was I I thought about this. It's the film Valiant. Do you know what? I don't think I've ever seen it. Ah, uh, Valiant. I first saw in cinemas in two thousand and five. Right. Eleven-year-old boy. How can I describe it? It's pigeons fighting Nazis. <laughs> Is, I, was, I was not expecting you to say that. Well, that, that's 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 basically the plot. It's based <laughs> the pigeons in in World War Two who had to go and get messages. How can I say it's got a brilliant voice cast in Ewan McGregor, Ricky Gervais, Tim Curry, John Cleese, Hugh Laurie, John Hurt. What the film? So you look back on it now as an adult and you think, yeah, okay, this. This film is not as good as I remembered it, as I remember it was. But you know, it's worth watching. So, the interesting thing is that um, you, you probably know this: why with British films, why they don't do well over over the pond, shall we say, in America? Valiant's problem is he doesn't really have much personality to him. He's very much too friendly, and you know. He's very overconfident, but they try and play it out that because he's sh- he's sh- he's small, being short uh, is an interesting character fault. But nowadays, would you say it's an interesting character fault or a physical disadvantage? 
I, I think you have to be incredibly careful how you characterise people based on their height. Are we talking? Uh, is this someone who is just short, or well, he's a very he's a very short wood, small wood pigeon? Right. Okay. Okay. So at least it's been kind of uh, they're manifesting that in a in a pigeon rather than a person. They are yes, and I, I mean. I mean, I what I look, I compare this to something like Zootropolis, or as I mm. Zootopia, and you take um, you take Judy Hopps, for instance. Um, I, I look at these two characters, and the difference being with them is with Judy or Carrots, as uh, Nick would call her. The difference is that Judy actually realizes her faults near the end of the film and then learns from her mistakes. Mm. And Valiant, on the other hand, it's basically, put it this way, the humour in it is very forced. So they make they make adult jokes in the first two minutes, and it's only 73 minutes long. The squad are very, very underwritten. Ricky Gervais plays his usual um, rude and irritating chatterbox character. Mm-hmm. I, I will say the the one thing I do like is Tim Curry playing the villain and John Cleese is his prisoner of war. And I think finally a film where Tim Curry and John Cleese actually are in a scene together and they're arguing. <laughs> it's kind of the, the posh English the posh English twerps, just you know. <laughs> but bearing in mind Tim Tim Curry is an English, he's playing the he's playing the Nazi Falcon, so don't you find it weird though that in any film that that has Nazis in it, they're always played by English people? Oh, they are, and Hugh Dennis makes this joke in Mock the Week, where <laughs> lines you wouldn't hear in a war film, where he says, "Why are we speaking English?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like like with Wind in the Willows, it's one of those films where you just sit your kids in front of just to shut them up. But I, I say it's it's a film I will watch. If, he, if it's VE Day, and it is kind of, if, if you've grown up watching it, but then as an adult, you think, yeah, okay, this wasn't good. You mm. then have a sort of, well, I, could, I did like it as a kid, so I, I, I will watch it again. <laughs> yeah, excellent choice, though, for a guilty pleasure. And I, I have to say, all of your choices have been unique without doubt uh, and it's a great way to kick off the new series so thank you very much for doing that uh, but before i let you go if anyone does want to connect with you and uh, chat to you about film or radio or whatever and um, how can they get hold of you so you can get in touch with me on twitter at the live luke or drop me an email luke davis four at gmail.com excellent i love how you put on that little radio voice at the end there Oh, well, thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Luke, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. And uh, hopefully one day in the future, we can get you back for uh, for a sequel episode if if I ever come up with some more questions. Thank you very much, Liam. I look forward to that. That's it for this episode of the Friday Film Club. I do hope you enjoyed it. And of course, you can listen back to all previous episodes wherever you get your podcasts. And remember as well to connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at the Fry Film Club. We will, of course, post links to all of our guest info in the show notes. So look out for that as well. Thanks for listening. Thanks so much for listening to the first season of the Friday Film Club. I hope you've enjoyed it. 
Uh, we are busy planning for season two, and that's gonna be coming early next year. So do keep your ears out for that. We're lining up some great guests. And uh, of course, if you've got any feedback, do let us know. Uh, we want you to enjoy what you hear. Uh, and also uh, remember before season two starts to tell everyone about the show, follow us on social at the Fry Film Club and leave a review and a rating uh, so others can find us as well. Uh, that would be great. Enjoy your Christmas and your new year and we will see you on the other side.